theme of fruitfulness. Not just this message, but this, this whole topic, something God is taking me through. <clears throat> and uh, it's this whole topic of being without sin. You know, I'm a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, Christ lives in me and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You know, thank you for holding the fort with that third of the church. You're awesome. I appreciate that. Hallelujah. I'm really excited. Okay. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the fact that we're here. Thank you for every person that is here, Father. You know, and everyone else, Lord God. Thank you so much. We are all the body of Christ. And we all have something to give. And we all have something to share. Lord, I pray that you unify us. Not just through this messages, not just through the messages, but through our interactions with each other. Through our love for each other. This love that covers all wrongs. This love that oversees offenses. I pray that you unify all of us, this body of Christ. Because then we look like the bride that you called us to be. The bride that you're coming back to. Jesus, teach us tonight from your word. Impart your spirit to every one of us. Impart your knowledge. May we all be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, I'm going to be talking about what it's like to live life without sin because quite often we don't really feel like we're without sin, do we? You know, we're Christians, we're saved by grace, you know, we've got Jesus living inside us. We know this, but quite often, you know, we can end up questioning it or we can question how much we're worth and, you know, we're always making mistakes. And we always say things like, oh, it's okay, we're people, we make mistakes and Oh, that I've said that. I've even said that up here on stage before. And gosh, it was dumb. Please forgive me for saying those things. You know. So, if you've got your Bibles or your tablets or your, your phones or whatever, please don't go on Facebook. Go on. Go into the Bible. You know, if you've got a Bible app, if you don't have a Bible app, get a Bible app. They are awesome. We're going to go to Genesis chapter three. Very um inspiring chapter. Lots of. Not great stuff happened, but, you know, hallelujah. Okay, and we're going to go from verse 6, and we're going to read up to verse 8. So this is when, you know, the serpent comes to Eve, and he's starting to try to convince her to take the fruit. This is talking about the fall of mankind. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to go from verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Boom. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That is... Probably the saddest couple of verses in the Bible. Right there. I think that is the saddest couple of verses in the Bible. That is where everything went to the crapper. But I don't just want to focus on, you know, oh, we're in sin now. Adam and Eve sinned. Well done, guys. You know, I want to focus on their reaction for a moment, and then I'm going to move into some other stuff. I've had some problems with printers for the last week, so... My notes are all handwritten. 
hallelujah. But don't worry, it still makes sense. Okay. So, why do you think they felt shame when they realized they were naked? If God made them naked, why do they need to feel shame? You know? Have you ever thought that before? Like, they, the, their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and they felt shame. So they went to sow fig leaves together. But God made them naked, like, what's the problem? You know? It wasn't just the fact that they were naked. Them being naked wasn't a problem. It was the fact that they were without God. And so their nakedness was, it now became a reflection of their spiritual condition, was that they were without God and therefore they really were naked now. So nakedness became a really unholy thing because they were no longer perfect or, or innocent, I should say. They were degraded. So their nakedness was degraded. So it's become something else entirely. And that's why they sewed fig leaves together. And then you've got, you've got God coming into the garden, walking along. He knows what's happened. But he's walking along and he's sort of, you know, he's waiting for their reaction. And they go and hide. You know? First thing they do, they've realized they've made the mistake. They go and hide. They feel terrible. You know? And then the blame game starts, but you know, we won't go into that. The fact is they hid because they were ashamed and they tried to cover it all up. And you know, Everyone goes through this stage in their lives, you know, where we're, we're born into sin, we're living in sin, and then, you know, we give our lives to Jesus, you know? And it's like the best day of your life. And that's all well and good. And it really is the best day of your life. And Jesus really does live inside us now. And so we say that we're without sin and, and you know, all our sins are nailed to the cross and, and all this kind of stuff, but we don't often feel like it. Like our mind is telling us something different to what scripture says you know and then we start to feel really guilty and we start to you know when we make mistakes we we hide or you know we don't feel like we can come before god you know sin creates a mindset that hides because it doesn't measure up because it focuses on itself and if you focus on yourself you will never measure up to god's perfect standard so you'll always feel bad the huge mistake that we get caught up into, and it's, it's, it's like this vicious cycle. See, it doesn't matter whether I do a good thing or a bad thing. If I'm doing it in my own strength, I'm often going to make a mistake. Like we were talking about this the other night, but I'll, I'll share from, you know, I mean, many times in the past, when I've tried to preach the gospel to someone, I haven't done it properly. And then I've walked away thinking, oh no, I feel terrible because I didn't do enough. You know, and then I feel really bad, even though I've tried to do the right thing. And then I walk away and I think, what have I done? I should go back and fix it all up or something like that. And I'm like, I'm riddled with guilt. You know, that used to happen all the time. But then there was a time, like a couple of weeks ago, I was at Griffith, I was walking to the car and there were a bunch of boys, you know, with a football on the front lawn. They were just sitting there. One of them had crutches. And I had this little argument with God in my head like I often have. I hate having arguments with God and I should never, ever have them. But God was like, Jamie, there's crutches. Go and, go and pray for that kid. I was like, no, nah, I've got things to do. And then I went to the car and he's like, no, <laughs> go and pray for this kid. I was like, okay. You know, so I walked over that, you know, to this group of boys and I started chatting with one of them. And, you know, and, I noticed, and then I looked at this other boy with the crutches. And I'm like, hey, man, what happened to your leg? He's like, oh, I broke my foot. I'm like, sweet, when did you do that? And he's like, oh, oh this week. And I'm like, awesome, perfect, you know. Best thing to hear. So I'm like, come here, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I'll come to you. I'll pray for you. 
you know, and I prayed for him, and, and all the boys were watching, you know. And all these boys know me to some degree. I mean, some of them have even been to youth group like years ago. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm praying for this kid, and, I, and, you know, I finish, and he's like, oh, thanks, man. And I'm like, yeah, okay, how do you feel? He's like, oh, yeah, I feel good. I'm like, no, stand up, start walking, <laughs> see how you feel. And he's like, oh, okay. He looks at the boys, the boys look at him, they're like, do it. <laughs> okay, now he's the one with peer pressure. So he's, so he's standing up, he starts walking along, he's like, what'd you do? I prayed for you, Jesus healed you, you know, and, you know, but I sort of just kept it at that. And then I'm like, all right, see you boys later. And, and then I left. But I didn't preach the gospel to them, you know. I, I was driving away and I was thinking, you know what? I could have led five boys to the Lord right there. And I didn't. But, you know, I wasn't riddled with guilt. I thought, I'll see them again. They know me. I know them. I see them every week. There'll be more opportunities. This is a learning curve, you know. And there are other times... I mean, that, that's when you do a good thing that you don't really do enough or you, you don't do it the way God wants and then you feel bad. People can feel bad afterwards. But then when you really do do something bad, like maybe you look at something on the internet that you're not supposed to look at and then you get riddled with guilt afterwards and then you think, oh, I'm never going to do this again. And then you're probably looking at it again like by the end of the day or the next day or something. Or maybe may, may, maybe you've got, I don't know, a, a, an addiction with something. Maybe, maybe, you, you know, just, maybe you drink a little bit too much and then you don't and then you... You know, you drink a little bit more over here and, and you think, nah, I should stop doing this or, or something like that. Or sometimes we say something about a person that we shouldn't. Like, like how easy is it to get caught up in gossip, you know? And how dirty do you feel afterwards all the time? And you just think, oh man, wow, I feel so bad, you know? Like we can do wrong things all the time and we can feel guilty. Now, I'm not saying that Feeling bad about bad things is a bad thing, you know, because there still is a need for repentance. We still need to say, okay, no, I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry, Lord, help me to do the right thing. You know, we still need to be repentant. But if we are caught in a vicious cycle of doing the same thing and 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 the same thing, no matter how many times we come back to God and say, sorry, we're just we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're spiraling down into this little pit and we don't know what to do and we just feel worse and worse and worse and worse because it's like, how many times can I say sorry to you before you don't forgive me? Have you ever thought that before? You know, I have thought that before. It is a horrible feeling. It's the worst feeling and you can battle with it your entire life if, if you don't try and, you know, change something or if you don't look at the word for what the word says you know this is a very powerful mind thing and uh when you're caught in these vicious cycles i mean i'll just explain a little bit behind it it, it comes from insecurities now insecurities always relate to a lack of understanding and understanding comes from the word you read the word take it on board, you understand it, insecurity goes. Because this, when it really hits you, it comes by revelation, not by your own interpretation. We talked about that recently. When a revelation of God hits you from the word, it's bye, bye to your insecurity. Now, fear feeds off insecurities. 
and they're no longer an insecurity, they're like a headline in your life. Now, the person that has not been made perfect in love is the person who fears, according to 1 John chapter 4. Those who fear have not been made perfect in love because fear has to do with punishment. Now, insecurities have to do with failure or punishment or you know, being looked at upon as though you're nothing or something like that. It's afraid of being worthless. So it's always trying to measure up. But if we've got insecurities, we're going to act out of them. And it doesn't matter how many times we come back to God and say, sorry, as long as we've got those insecurities, we're always going to fall into that trap. And so we're caught in this back and forth thing of feeling like a terrible Christian and then being on fire for like half a day and going, yes, glory to glory. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden we're back down in the pits even further because it's like I was doing so well and now I'm here. I feel even worse now. Do you know what I'm talking about? How bad are these cycles? They're the worst thing in the world. And, you know, if we play on these insecurities long enough, we start to do things like we question our salvation. You know? Jesus died for me, but, man, I've done a lot of wrong. I keep making the same mistakes, and the Word says, you know, those who keep sinning are not in God. Paul talks about it. John talks about it. Is that me? I keep sinning and I say I'm sorry, but am I really? Because I go back and do it again straight away. Am I really in God? You know? These sorts of questions start to play with our mind because our insecurities just get blown way out of proportion and we start to, you know, think of the word according to our insecurities. Insecurities are not a good lens to look through. They distort everything, even the pure truth of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's start to sift through some of these things. We're going to read verse 18 and 19. The whole chapter really is, is wonderful on this. And it's talking about the distinction between Adam's sin, you know, in the beginning and putting humanity in the problem that it's been put in and then Christ dying for us so that we can all come out of that problem. Chapter 5, 18 to 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's pretty cool. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, right there. Okay, if you've accepted Christ, that, that relates to you. That's you right there. You are no longer identified as a sinner. So everything you do that is a mistake, God doesn't identify that with you. He doesn't think that's who you are. And he never will, no matter how many times you do it. No matter how many times you come to him and say sorry, and then you go back and do it. He doesn't identify you as that person. And he never will. And we have trouble coming to terms with that because we're people and we like to shape our opinions according to our circumstance. But God doesn't shape his opinions to circumstance. He shapes opinions according to his standard. 
Now, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We in this world, everything is changing. But if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his opinion of us will not change. He is an eternal God. He sees beyond our circumstance, no matter how many years it takes for us to wrap our heads around something or for God's revelation to come in, God does not identify us as a sinner or whatever type of sin that we are caught up in. But obviously we cannot stay there because, you know, if we want to go into chapter 6, we won't. You know, actually, we might a little bit. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Obviously, this doesn't give us a license to sin. We need to be empowered by grace. But you can say that as many times as you want and you still may never come to an understanding of what that actually means. And you know, oh gosh, sometimes... Sometimes you hear this, and I'm sure everyone's heard this at some stage, and this is just another one of those examples of where preachers especially, they, they take it out of context. They say, well, if any person says that he is without sin, then he has deceived himself. Have you ever heard someone say that? Gosh, it does my head in. That is absolutely not what that text means. If that's a mindset that you're going to adopt, you're setting yourself up for failure because whatever you believe, you will do. So if I believe, if I, if I take that verse, and it's in 1 John, by the way, 1 John chapter 1, if I believe, okay, I'm not without sin because if I were to say that I am without sin, then I am deceiving myself, well, then I'm setting myself up for failure and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sin. And it doesn't matter how many times I go back to, to God and say sorry and get on my knees and say, help me not to do this. If I believe that I am not without sin, if I believe that there is sin in me, then I am going to sin. You do what you believe about yourself. You can't beat that. So when people say that, I really hate it. How about we kill that verse right now, eh? I don't mean kill the verse. I mean kill the context that people put it in. You want to do that right now? Let's do that. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Hallelujah. My goodness, we could read the whole chapter. It's wonderful. We could read this whole book. All right, but we'll start from verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? What? All sin. Every sin. Every sin, all sin. That's, that's pretty explanatory. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All. All unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now this verse that people take out of context, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
This is talking about people that don't have Jesus in the first place. Two verses later, it lines up with that and says the same thing. It says, if you're saying that you have no sin and that you have no need for Jesus at all, well, then you're calling him a liar. This isn't talking about people that have accepted Christ and then say they have no sin. It's talking about pre-salvation. It's talking about you don't have God at all in your life, but you think you're perfect. You're arrogant enough to think that you are perfect and you don't need saving. I don't do anything wrong. That's what that verse is talking about. So if someone ever says to you, you're deceiving yourself if you think you're without sin, you can slam that right back in their face. Maybe that's the opinion you have about yourself. I appreciate you for being humble enough and being honest, but that is not me. That's not what Scripture says about me. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from, say it with me, all sin, all unrighteousness. So if I believe that I am without sin, see, this is really much a mind thing now. Sin and even sickness becomes a mind thing. It's no longer part of you. It doesn't belong in you anymore. It doesn't technically, from an eternal point of view, it doesn't exist. But if it's in your mind, it's going to come out in your body too. But the thing is, Jesus says that we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the Bible also says, by his stripes we are healed. Therefore, sin and sickness have no place in us whatsoever. And we keep on sinning and we keep on doing things. But if we keep telling ourselves, I am without sin, there's going to be change in your life. It may not be instant. It might be a gradual thing. That's what renewal of the mind is. See, but Jamie, I feel like this. I feel dirty. I, I feel hopeless. I feel like I'm a sinner. I feel like I'm no good. Scrap what you feel. What does the word say about you? What you feel doesn't mean what you believe necessarily or what you have to believe. See, we let our emotions ride us and we let our emotions dictate what we're going to believe. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. All we need to do is do nothing and our emotions will just take over the show. You know, and then we'll start telling ourselves lies about ourselves. You know, that's when our insecurities will come through. That's when our fear will come through. Emotions. Now, emotions are good. God did create emotions. It's, you know, we're people, we have them. But if they're coming from an understanding that it's all about me, that I sit on my own throne, that God is second in my life or something like that, then our emotions will always come in a way that is going to try and serve me. But it actually doesn't work like that. It doesn't serve me. It ends up betraying me. I'm going to destroy myself with my own emotions and I'm going to let my emotions dictate what the Word of God says in my life. And that's not how God designed it to be. So scrap what you feel if you're believing that you're no good or if you're a sinner or you look at all of the things you've done wrong and you say, nah. Start declaring these things over your life despite how you feel. Change your mindset. Renew your mind with the word because the word, sorry, faith comes by hearing the word. 
And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It overcomes our emotions, which is the most powerful thing we'll ever face. The most powerful thing we'll ever face is not the devil. You simply have to resist the devil and, and you know, he'll flee from you. But it's, you know, if you know you're resisting the devil, it can be a lot easier. But if, if you're just facing your emotions, if you're facing your own mind, it becomes a lot harder because you're having a war with yourself. So we need to believe what the Word of God says over our own emotions. It can be difficult. But no, make a stand and say, no, this is what I believe. This is what this says. Let's go down a little bit further into chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's it. Like, actually look at that sentence. Not that you may not sin much, that you may sin only sometimes. John never says, oh, we're people, we make mistakes. <laughs> don't worry, God's grace will cover you. He doesn't say that. He goes, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Like at all. How much of a revolutionary idea is that? But if anyone does sin, oh my goodness, he uses the word if, not when, he says if. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If when I first came across that, it blew my mind. Just that little word right there, if. If anyone sins. Oh my goodness, he's not putting a time limit on this. He's not saying, okay, let, let's put the time on because it's bound to happen. Let's see how long you last. No, he just says, come on, if you mess up, you know, then Jesus has got you. You know, be repentant, you know, and all that stuff, but don't get riddled in guilt and get caught up in these cycles. Emotions come secondary to belief, and our belief must be subject to the authority of God's word in our life. First and foremost, nothing else. You make your belief subject to people's opinions or your parents' opinion of you, that can be really dangerous because our parents, no matter how many times they say, I believe in you, we can always remember the times where they said something that made us feel bad. And then we subject ourselves to that. No. This is the standard that we believe about ourselves because God says it. Amen? Can we stand? I want us, I want us all to pray. So can you, can you repeat after me? Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying for me. I choose to believe your word in my life. I don't want to let my emotions control me. Help me to bring them into subjection. Help me to believe your word. The things you say about me. You tell me I am without sin. Therefore, I am without sin. I am without sin. I am without sin. So no matter how many times I mess up, I'm going to keep telling myself from your word that I am without sin. 
Renew my mind so that I may not sin because you have cleansed me from all sin. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How are we doing? Are we encouraged? Yeah, I saw that. That was good.